I greet you this morning in Jesus' name. It's always good to come to Weaver Town. There's something about it, and I know some of you younger ones don't remember us being here naturally because it's over 32 years that we moved out. But uh, there's something about coming home that's special, and this is certainly that feeling that I still get from here. And some of these men on the front benches uh, got older over the years, as we did too. But it's good to be here. Thanksgiving is this week, and it's usually the week when we think about being thankful. I hope it's more than just this week, but it's one time when we pause in thankfulness. My message this morning is not necessarily about thankfulness. It is the message, it's the question, is your soul in good health? And sometimes when we come to Thanksgiving season, we think about what we have. We think about our things, we think about our health, and each other for that matter, But this morning, there's something I want us to think about is, are we really thankful if our soul is in good health? And there's this scripture in 3 John 1, the second verse, says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. This is an interesting scripture because John was speaking to Gaius, and he told Gaius that he wishes that his physical body would be as good shape as his soul. Now, turn that around. How would we look if our physical body would be in the same shape as our soul was in? Apparently, Gaius was better. His soul was healthier than his body, and he wished his body to have the same health as his soul. And it begs the question, so we say, how do we achieve that? How do we get there? What does it take to have a healthy soul? And I realize that we can split these things into many different ways, And we start saying, what is spirit, soul, and body, and how does it all work, and how does the heart come in on these things? And I'm not necessarily trying to be super theological on all of these things, but I do want us to give some thought to how this all works. So, in Genesis 2, verse 7, it reads like this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we get the idea of God coming down, and he took dirt, and he made a body. So out of our spirit, soul, and body, the first thing that he made was body, which is really interesting. We sometimes think of the body as such a temporary thing, and when the spirit leaves the body, we bury them, because the body is useless at that point. They will rot, they will stink, and they deteriorate and go back to dirt where they came from. So he first made a body, and then he went and he took, and it says in Hebrew, the word uh, neshama, which is the word which is translated two ways, either wind or spirit. It's the same word in Hebrew, and actually in Greek it is too, in pneuma. It's both wind and spirit. It's used interchangeably. And he breathed into him spirit, and man became a living soul. So we see that the combination of body and spirit produces an activity of the soul. And we're all familiar that we have that activity, or you wouldn't be here. So we ask, what is the soul? We often think of our connection to God, to our spiritual side, as being an important part of spiritual soul health. And it is. Our soul health, it's very important that we have a good connection to God. But it is also important that we have a good connection with our body. And what our bodies 
input is to soul health. And we think about that. We receive from our body, namely, mostly through the five senses, the five senses of sight, smelling, hearing, tasting, and the perceptor of touch. And all of these things contribute to who we are in a large way. So in this morning's message, I want to first define the soul, what the soul is, and secondly, I want to discuss our connection to God via our spirit. Thirdly, I want to examine what our body and our senses do for our soul health. And then lastly, the question, why should we even bother having a healthy soul? What's the point? There is a point that that's the question that I have. But before I get into that, I have a question for you. But I will explain something about that question. I like cupcakes. In fact, I like cupcakes. I don't know if some of you are crazy over cupcakes like I am. I almost brought one this morning, but I didn't. I was afraid you might fight for it. I'm probably too good to fight for it. But I did bring a picture of my favorite cupcake. Now, you're, some of you are probably getting hungry. This cupcake is called the Ron Bennington. Now, they have a cupcake shop in our town there, Molly's Cupcakes, and they make custom cupcakes. Now, I'm sure you're getting hungry when I tell you this. You can pick the cake of your choice, and you can put the filling of your choice in it, and the toppings of your choice, the icing of your choice, everything. And you can have it custom made just for you, the only one in the world. Now, you can understand why you would stop at the cupcake shop, because you can have it just for you. But I don't bother with that, because they have one ready to go called the Ron Bennington, and this one here has everything I like. It's chocolate cake. It has peanut butter filling, chocolate frosting with butterscotch crumbles on top. And it's delicious. $3.50. Can I have one? Is it okay for me to stop and buy a cupcake? Plop down $3.50 for taste. Now, I'm going to put that aside. I'll let you think about that a little bit. And I will go on and we'll talk about our soul. You're still thinking about it, I'm sure. But sometimes you have to have something to think about when you get bored with the rest of the message. So you can think about that, try to come up with an answer. Aaron would get two of them, yeah. Yeah, right, to one to share. Okay, well, very good. So I have this question, can I have a cupcake? So we are a soul. I think the best way to say it, we're a soul, and this soul has a body and it has a spirit. And this is one graph that you may look at, is that we are a soul, and in the processes of this soul is where we think, and that's where the activity happens. And we have a connection to the spirit world, which connects us with the heavenlies, which connects us with God, and the evil world, for that matter as well, connects through that in part. Not only, but in part. And then we also connect with our body, which is our natural, physical world. And another thing you could look at is this deal, is the magnets of the two. 
And we're all familiar with the idea that in this, we have a magnetic pull from God or the devil, the spirit world, and we have a magnetic pull to what my body wants to do. And it's not news to us that our body does not always want what is right or good. Sometimes our body becomes very demanding, and the body must be brought under control. We understand that. So we process all of these things. When the body gives us, I'd say, we want this, we start thinking whether it's a good thing or not. And so, uh, so those are things that we process in that system. Now, we do learn that the soul goes on beyond this life. And we talked about that maybe a bit this morning in Sunday school, that it, 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 when the body dies, the soul departs and goes somewhere else. We understand that. But there's a tremendous complexity that is here within the spirit, soul, and body of our being. And I'm not here to try to explain it all because I'm sure we might have some different opinions on how it all turns out. But I'm just going to give, it, give you a bit of an overview of what happens here. So our soul is basically what I consider the interpretation of our human life. And in it we have will, we have reason, and we have emotion. And in the will, it decides, it determines, it possesses intention. Some people are strong-willed, some people are weak-willed. It also uh, possesses logic, it reaches conclusions, and we have emotions there. And that's what processes in there. So you think about that whole thing of what all affects that. When we worry, for instance, or you're fearful, it's not because your body is necessarily always at stake, or even the comforts of your body are gone. There's something else that's making, you, that's making you worry. Where does that come from? You ever think about that? So all of these, these things come into our soul, and I like to think of it as our central computer. If you have a computer, if you understand how they work, they have a little, what's called the CPU, the central computer, that operates everything. And that only operates with the information that comes into it. But in it, that's what organizes things. And then the computer has a hard drive. Most of them do. They have smaller hard drives because we store things wherever you store your things, on the computer or online. And everything that we want to keep, we put into the hard drive. And that's our heart. That's how I look at it. The things that we treasure, the things that we store, are kept there for easy uh, to, to, to retrieve rather easily. They're right there. And, and there's also something on the hard drive called the programming that runs the main computer. So we have this little interesting thing. What's the heart? What's the soul? And what's its relationship? And I'm not exactly sure how it all works. Maybe none of us do. But there is a, there's a sharp connection in between those things. So in this, our soul has strong connection to what happens in our body, what happens in our environments and through our senses, and what happens in the spirit world as God speaks to us. Now, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not, we understand that some souls are not healthy. And so we say, why? What went wrong? God wants us to have a healthy soul. So what would happen? What happens with a healthy soul? So let me talk about the heart just a little bit. The heart is where our treasure is. And that's what it says in Matthew 6. It says, for where your heart is, for your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I've heard people say, well, I have all these things, but it doesn't have my heart. 
Well, I really doubt that. Because anything that we consider to be valuable, we put in our heart. Now, not dirty diapers. Now, if, if somebody takes a dirty diaper and carries it out, there's not one bit of tug in my heart like, oops, I am sorry to see that go. But if I take your cell phone, well, I might have a fight. Or if we go out and we just dent your car up with a sledgehammer, it wouldn't be quite the same reaction as a dirty diaper leaving. Because that vehicle, that cell phone, whatever is valuable, has some of your heart. And people have lots of money. Maybe he's a multimillionaire, and he says, my money doesn't have my heart. Well, try stealing a million dollars from him and seeing if he cares. Because it'll probably tug a little bit. And every time he sees you, he'd be just a tad angry that you stole that a million dollars. In fact, he would go beyond that. He'd try to get it back because it has some value. The bottom line is, if something is valuable to us, it occupies part of our heart. And we live from that treasure. Now, we also realize from the scriptures that our heart isn't always so good. The stuff we put in there isn't always the most valuable things. In Ephesians 2, it says that we are by nature dead to God. It tells us we are naturally the sons of disobedience, and it tells us that we are naturally the children of wrath. And we understand that, that fallenness that is within us. So the heart has to be rebuilt by God. We ask God to give us a new heart. That's what the Scripture, many men in Scripture and women, ask God to give them a new heart and a clean heart. And our souls must be saved. That we understand. But I never read about our spirit being saved. It talks about it being regenerated. It seems like that's something that's given for connection with God. And if our soul is not healthy, we can sort of soil our spirit part up. But it needs to be cleaned up. But the soul needs to be saved. The heart needs to be, and it actually talks about a new heart. It's almost like we need a whole new transplant where we have a different set of treasures. And the old treasures that we used to treasure need to go. And it's not news to us that that is also something that is an ongoing process. Matthew 6 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew 12 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. And it tells us that many times. So when I think about our heart, there's about three things that are in our heart. We, our heart has treasure. Our heart, after God, fulfills his will, and we should purpose in our heart. That means that ultimately the things that we treasure will run our decision-making process from its core. So we have to be careful how we treasure that. And that brings us to another thing called the mind, and I'm going to spend a little time on the mind. But first I want to ask you a question. When you open your heart and you look into it, what do you see? Well, we have th there's three opinions about all of us. About three, maybe more. I don't know how many personalities we have. But uh, we look into that heart, and uh, one of the things that we deal with, and I find, is my personal opinion of myself is what? It's generally what I think other people think of me. And then there's a second opinion. That's what other people actually think of us. It's not always the same. But we pretty much operate 
out of what we think other people think. And that might be wrong. But the third one is when we open our heart and we look and we look what's actually there. That's actually who we are. Whether other people know it or not, whether they realize it or not, that is actually where, what is there. And that is actually the core of how healthy you are. When you look in there and you see that. And sometimes we see some ugly things in our hearts. I think of wounds. Uh, sometimes there's wounds that we really don't like to get rid of uh, because we treasure our wounds. They're handy at times to use them. And sometimes we treasure our pain, whether we like it or not. And we ask the question, how did some of these things find their way into our hearts? Our soul has an incredible impact on what is in our heart. I'm not suggesting that we by ourselves can make good decisions. We don't. We make decisions based by, by following God, following His Spirit. But our soul, particularly the mind, our brain, our processor, has an incredible, incredible opinion of what's happening in our heart. And in our... Uh, a local business there, there's this little sign that's on the wall, and I took a picture of it. I'm going to show it to you. It says, I walk around like everything is fine, but deep inside my shoe, my sock is falling off. And I think we can relate to that. Many times we give the air that everything's fine, and I'm healthy, I'm well, but down in my shoe, my sock has a hole in it, or maybe it's sliding down. And there's a just uncomfortable feeling there, but you don't know it. And that's something that can happen. Now, I want us to think about how do we, how do we take care of that sliding sock? How do we take care of the parts of our souls that are not quite where they ought to be? And I think that probably for most of us, we're never quite where we really want to be. At least we ought not to be. If you are, you're a bit arrogant. We're always striving to be where God wants us to be and to walk with him. I have always admired getting to know some older folks and seeing some of these older men that are still learning to know God. That is such an encouragement. If they can do it, we can all do it. And that's something that needs to be a quest of ours. It was Paul's quest. Paul asked Paul asked God this question. He said, who are you? And for the rest of his life, that became his quest to know God. And we can see Paul living that kind of life. And that's what we have to do. Now, back to the mind. We have a problem with the mind today. It's probably not a new problem. And that is that we're over busy. And our minds look a little bit like this. Or the man on the right. We have all these things that are coming into our brains, and they're just overloading the brains. It's called an information superhighway that's coming into our brains right now. But what we need to do is go to the photo on the left, and we need to take our Bible, our journal, and maybe a cup of tea or coffee, and come apart a while. And that's what Jesus did many times. There's a man by the name of Chris Bailey that studies the mind, not a Christian man, but he's, his main job is to study the mind. And he was sitting at his computers, three screens in front of him, and all day long had computer screens in front of him. Then evenings he would go home and, I guess, more screen time. 
And finally, he began to realize what it was doing to his brain. Now, I'm not bashing screens. I'm not bashing the Internet. That's not my point. My point is brain traffic. And he was thinking about the traffic that he's putting into his brain. And he decided to do a test. And he said, for some reason, I am so overwhelmed with traffic going through my brain that I'm not sure if I can think straight. And so he worked for 30 days. He bored himself, literally bored himself for one hour a day. Uh, one day he called Air Canada baggage control, waited there for a whole hour. He did nothing else but wait for somebody to answer his call. Now that's boredom. He uh, watched hourglass, you know, salt go down through hourglass. He, he stared at uh, a knot on a tree. Another time he counted the digits in, the, in pi and things like that. Anything to just get his brain to where the brain is not stimulated anymore and see what the brain does when it does not get much external stimulation. See, brain traffic is stimulation. And he says that our brains are incredibly hungry for stimulation, but also incredibly lazy. So what we do, we go to the easiest avenue to be stimulated. We're lazy. Our brains are naturally lazy. We go to the easiest avenue to be stimulated. So think about it. You go to the dentist, and you, they used to have magazines at the dentist's office. And then you'd go in there, and you sit down and look around. Everybody has their phone out. They might wait for five minutes. They can't even look and observe people and analyze people. It's actually fun. And uh, you start analyzing people, and just like that, the phones are out. And it's, it's interesting because our brains want easy stimuli. It actually takes some work to sit there and look at people and actually look what's going on. And the brain wants the easier way. And he began to realize this, that we're overstimulated. So he said when he went through his deal, it took about one week to detox from easy stimuli. And then he saw that his brain, his attention span started growing, more ideas started flowing in his head, and he had a lot more plans about the future. He was just like so much more innovative, and he loved it. So he made some adjustments in his life. He, he, uh, he changed what he did. And he didn't do it for spiritual purposes. He did it for his brain's health. Now I want us to think about that. So when you want a healthy soul, you also need to have a good operating brain. A brain that makes good decisions. A brain that is running at maximum. And you can make the proper decisions process. Your processor process things correctly. So it doesn't really matter much if you're a digital native where you've always had the keyboard and its digital ideas or whether you are a digital immigrant where you're learning it or you're just playing a digital outcast. And most of us find ourselves in one of these places. And here, it, you know, when it really comes to brain traffic, it doesn't matter where you are. And one of the reasons I want us to think about that is Jesus 2,000 years ago, he said to his disciples, come ye apart into a desert place and rest a while. The reason Jesus did that was because of the busyness of the moment. And they didn't even have the internet. So it's not a new thing that we put too much traffic in. Chris Bailey says this. His conclusions were this. He said, we do not need to fit more in we need more space. He says traffic flows better in space. You've seen traffic jams. You've probably been in them. 
It's not necessarily the traffic that's the problem. It's the space that's the problem. So if you want your brain to operate well, you need to give it space. And for us, it's time. He also said that the distraction is not the enemy of focus. Overstimulation is the enemy of focus. We have always been surrounded by distractions. And our brain loves distractions. Loves them. We, we are always looking to be distracted. But he says, actually, the real enemy of focus is when we're so overstimulated. It's like we're running too fast, and then we have a hard time focusing properly. I want us to think back about our soul health. Jesus stepped aside many times, and what he did, he stepped aside in silence, and he thought about things. He met with God there. I'm a proponent of quietness and solitude. We, we get so fast in life. And uh, a lot of our churches don't even like silence. Uh, and no, no offense to you, you sang while you took the offering. I'm actually a little proud of our church at home. We actually don't sing much when we take the offering. We can actually do it in silence. And it's first, when we started doing that, it felt really uncomfortable. Doesn't anybody have a song? I mean, is there... Uh, it felt almost unspiritual. You know what I'm saying? Because we're always looking for that next thing to keep us stimulated. What about some silence? I know some churches that for their devotional, they have a scripture reading, and then they journal and are silent for about 10 minutes. That's their normal Sunday morning process. They're not quite Quakers. <laughs> But maybe learning a little bit of learning what it takes to still ourselves before the Lord. And there's something about stilling ourselves before the Lord. That's what I appreciate when we can come to church and come early. Brother Menno Coons used to say, if you can't come on time, then come early. And so you come early, and you sit down, and you still yourselves. And you just quietly meditate. Good thing. Uh, in Romania, and uh, they pray, right? They, they come in and they always pray. They would never take their seat without praying first. There's something about that stilling yourselves before the Lord. But I want us to think about my soul's health and putting time into my schedule that I can be alone with God. And I think that most of our problems, not they wouldn't all dissolve, but many of them would go if we would only spend more time in solitude and quietness with our God. We do it in a hurry. And we have this little thing called quality time, and it's a myth because quality time is spelled T-I-M-E. That is quality time. And what the, what, when we use the term quality time, it's just another phrase for saying doing things in a hurry. You can't quite make up for the lack of time by putting quality in it. So now I think we wait. But I want us to think about how, what are some ways that we can retrieve soul health or build soul health. And that's read the Word of God. It shows us how God thinks. 
I think of reading schedules, study schedules, prayer, fasting, meditation. I talked about solitude, journaling. Cleaning our soul by the washing of the water of the word is a very, very important part of who we are, is the cleaning of our soul. My son was involved with some men's groups, and he said one of the things that he really appreciated that they did sometimes, rather than having a Bible study, they had a confession meeting. That we just went around the circle and all confessed those things that aren't quite right in there, that sock that's sliding off, and we just put it out, and we prayed about it, and then we talked about what can we do about this. These are things that are important things for us to think about. The idea of connectedness. Sometimes we are so busy working for God that we forget to walk with Him. A man once said that God walked this earth about three miles an hour is how He did life. I don't think we should think about that. Uh, speeding through life does not necessarily get us there very well. So through the sights of, of perceptions of, of, excuse me, I'm getting, if the Bible, let me first read these scriptures. It says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. It talks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. It talks about loving God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And these are very, very important things that we need to do. A healthy mind is very important to a healthy soul. Isaiah 26, it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in him. So I want us to think about that idea of being able to process the information that comes to our being correctly so that we can have a healthy soul. Now, we know what healthy bodies do. They help us. They help us live better. So does a healthy soul. But what about our body? What is our body's contribution to our soul? Sometimes we look down on some of the things of the body as though it's the body is just this demanding fallen thing, but it actually is made to give an important contribution to the health of our soul. I want to look at that a little bit. The sights, the means of sight, smelling, hearing, tasting, touching. Think about Jesus walking through the earth. He touched people. He spoke to people. He sang with people. He ate with them. He shared the five senses with the people that were around him. You can have a very powerful connection to God via the Spirit in solitary confinement. You can. But your body, we, our souls, are not meant for solitary confinement. They're meant to connect with a world that's around us through our senses. And that has an important contribution to who we are and what happens to us. Thomas, in John 20, had doubts. And God, Jesus, came to him and appealed to him through his senses. Thomas said, unless I see and until I touch... And Jesus permitted him to see and to touch. And Jesus, as he went through the earth, he multiplied the food and fed the people. He appealed to their senses 
and he brought them in. It has a lot to do with who we are. And heaven and hell are both given as places where the the senses operate, and they operate well. So sometimes we think that in order to keep our body under control, we have to become like, go to a monastery and maybe just squash everything. Like one person said, if if it tastes good, spit it out. You only eat for health. Well, we do eat for taste, don't we? And sometimes we look at anything that's enjoyable as, oh, I'm so spoiled. Well, maybe not. Maybe we're blessed. My uh, daughter-in-law accuses me of spoiling my granddaughters. And I disagree vehemently about that. I said I'm blessing them, not spoiling them. There's enough of negatives in life. Let's not turn blessings into spoiling. So why don't we enjoy the life, the things that God gives us? We don't have to turn it into a negative just because it's a physical sense. Think about it. You want to meet with God, where would you meet with him? Would you go back in a concrete vault, close the door? Well, it says your closet. Or what, what do we think about sometimes when we meet with God? Perhaps going to a place where there's beautiful scenery, and you can smell the flowers, and you can feel the wind, and you can have a cup of tea. And all of these things enhance our experience. There are physical senses. And they can be used to enhance our experience. And we should think about that. So now back to my question again. Can I have a cupcake? $3.50. Can I have one? Or a dirty chai latte for six and a quarter. When water would work. $15 for my favorite burger that comes with a steak knife. Is it okay to buy it? When I'll sit in my truck and eat that cupcake, and for the few seconds that it abides in my mouth, and after a bit it's gone, and so is the 350. Is that indulging? Or is it enhancing? Do I need that $15 burger when I can get one for $3.75? Or whatever they are, McDonald's. That would actually do the job, maybe. Think about it. These are questions that we ask. When you have people over for the evening, do you need to feed them food? Why spend for food when you can visit? Or does food enhance the visiting? You think about how much physical perception does to the soul's health. It's when people come next to us and they pat us on our back and say, I'm praying for you. That touch means something. Or somebody gives you something. They might drop your favorite bubble tea off for you. And just bless you and leave. And there you are sipping on your expensive tea. And all the time, every taste, you feel the encouragement of that person. Now we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Now I can buy it, right? If I buy it for someone else. But what about just for me? Well, can I sit somewhere alone with God and enjoy the the sight? 
Is it okay to enhance sight? Is it okay to enhance hearing? Can I play music just for me? Can I enhance my experience with my ears? Is it okay to taste something (laughs) to enhance the experience? I'm going to let you answer that. But I want us to get to the next point. That when we become slaves to our senses, then we no more enjoy what the senses are meant to enjoy. But along the way, it is meant that we enjoy what God has given us. And our senses do that. So maybe if God gave you 350, you can spend it for a cupcake. I'll let you decide whether that's a wise choice or not. It's a little expensive. It's like some people said, some of those things taste like money. And they do. So the question I have is, why should I have a healthy soul? Just why should I have a healthy soul? What, what's the point? Uh, is it okay if I'm just not in good health in my soul? And I have a whole bunch of trash in there. And I'm up in an upheaval. Should that matter? Why should I have a healthy soul? Why does God want me to have a healthy soul? This scripture was read as the opening scripture, Romans 12, 9 to 21. And this scripture is basically the epistle's equivalent on the Sermon of the Mount. Pretty much the same thing, the epistle's version. If you look at Romans 11, Verse 36, it says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And here it tells us that everything that we do is for the glory of God. And that includes our five senses. Right? It includes our connection to the spirit world. Everything that we do is for the glory of God and is for His purposes. And we need to remember that. And right after that, he begins into Romans 12, and he beseeches us that we would present ourselves to Him and serve Him, which is our reasonable service. It's expected of us that we would do that. How do I do that? And he tells us then that he gives us different gifts so that we can do different things, jumping in at nine, And then he gives us that basic thing, which is a call for all of us. He talks about love being pure. And it's not news to us that it is difficult to love the brethren and sisters. It's one of the hardest things you want to do. I think sometimes it's easier to love my enemies than my brethren at times. I don't think I've ever been hurt worse than in church. But I have never been helped more than in church. The Bible again and again talks about loving the brethren. And Jesus is busy teaching. And all of a sudden he stops. He goes, by the way, love each other. Then he goes back to what he was talking about. The Apostle Paul does the same thing. As though they understood that that was difficult. Then Jesus says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another. It's hard. It says we love in a pureness. It tells us about hating evil. It talks about being diligent in labor, not slothful in business. It talks about distributing to the necessity of the saints, given the hospitality. All of these things are here. That is why we need a a healthy soul. We need a healthy soul so that we can contribute to the kingdom of God 
and be the servants and to be the tools in God's kingdom that he wants us to be. It is more than just me feeling good. It is so that I can be a useful tool in the kingdom of God. That's why he wants us to be healthy. If you would sign up for a football team or a baseball team or any sports team, they would be concerned about the health of your body. Not so you could feel good, but so that you can serve the team. And the same thing is true for the church. The health of our souls is important so that we could serve God in the kingdom of God. That's why he wants us to be healthy. It talks about blessing. It talks about distributing. Dallas Willard says, in short, this scripture says don't be a jerk. And I sort of like that. Because come, come, to, come to think about it, each one of us has different gifts. And we can be jerks with our gifts. Some people said every church needs one jerk. I don't know about that. I think we do need people that hold us to the fire, but they better do it with love. That's when God has given you the calling to be the church uh, gatekeeper, whatever you want to call it, then do it with love. Do it for the sake of the church. And I think, I hear some people, they're always saying what's wrong with the church. This is wrong, that is wrong, that is wrong. Just ask them what they've done to help build it, and you probably hear nothing. And really, you are not qualified to criticize the church until you have put your efforts into building. And you know what I mean. When somebody that is busily building the church gives a critique, we listen. But if somebody is not, we just say, oh no, not that again. Somebody is not using their gift the way God wanted them to be. And the reason is, most likely because their soul is not at health. I had a man tell me years ago that there was an older man that was always the church critic. For years, he was the church critic. In fact, he was a minister. He was still the church critic. Nothing could be right. He criticized the members. He criticized his co-ministers. And one day, he finally comes out and confesses that thing that was deep in his heart all those years, that sock that had slid down in his shoe that nobody else knew about. It was embarrassing, but he confessed it. And he said that was the end of the criticism. He finally had a healthy soul, and it changed his being. I really feel that a healthy soul lives Romans 12. Verse 20 and 21 says, If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. For so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The reason that we do these things is because that's what God would do. And we are here to display the character of God. That's why we do them. Sometimes, some of the people that we love actually don't really deserve our love. They deserve some wrath. But we love them because that's what God would want us to do. We're displaying the character of Christ. What do we learn in what was said this morning? First of all, God has given us our senses in order to enjoy life. You can taste it. You can enjoy it. I was always amazed when I was a young boy 
My father would often take us to Roots and Green Dragon, and they had a health food stand and a candy stand. Now, I like candy. And I took note that the person at the candy stand always looked healthy, and the person at the health food stand looked like they were just about dead. <laughs> so I took courage at eating candy. <laughs> of course, the person at the health food stand would have told you that if they didn't take health food, they'd already be there. But what do we make out of it? I think God wants us to enjoy good taste. But enjoy it. Remember that if we become slaves to our taste, then we won't enjoy it anymore. There is the difference. If you become slaves to your hearing, and you have to just listen to certain things, and you're enslaved by it, then you can't enjoy it anymore. Joy comes when, it is, when we are not a slave to a bad master. God has given it for us to enjoy Proverbs 25 here talks about the spirit, but says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, But know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That is the ultimate part, that our body stands to glorify God. And if we can enhance the health of our soul with our senses, go ahead. But use it for an enhancement, not an enslavement too. Secondly, our souls are not nurtured to health in a hurry. I wish they could. It's a bit like experience. It's a bit like learning. Uh, I wish sometimes that I could go to Amazon and order humility. And this box of humility would come. It would be in a... I could go to the shower and I'd lather myself up with it. And I'd come out and I'd just be so humble. Or maybe we wish that we could learn to know God. By lathering ourselves in the shower with something... And we just know God. But it doesn't work that way. It takes time. It takes listening. And what we do so many times is we go to God in our prayers with our lists, our lists, our lists, our lists. And he wants our needs. Not underestimating them. Many times God says, before we go to the drawing board, come and have tea with me. Just come and let's sit down and just chat. Do you draw close to somebody when they do all the talking? How do we expect to know God if we do all the talking? What about us listening? It's hard work. There's exercises sometimes. You just sit down for a whole hour and listen to God. Say, God, this is your time. It's a fast hour. Our brain runs in circles right first. It takes a while, then it starts calming down. And it's some of the most beautiful times of life when we can just sit and listen to God and say, God, this is your time. You tell me. We forget that the Apostle Paul spent 17 years in training before he was commissioned as an apostle. 
In the Acts story, it looks like he was converted, and he turned around, and right away he was out there being a missionary journey. But he, in Corinthians, in Galatians, he says he was three years in, uh, in the Damascus, and then he went, up, then he went to uh, Jerusalem for about 15 days, and then he went back to Syria for another 14 years. And very little is written about what happened in those 14 years. The Apostle Paul only refers to it a few times. 17 years of discipling and learning to know God. And then the church gave him a call. God told the church, I have placed a call on Paul and Barnabas. And they commissioned and ordained them to go out and take the gospel to the Gentiles because God had called them. And he waited until the church called him. We forget those 17 years of learning to know God. Thirdly, our soul is like a stream. It has a healthy inflow and a healthy outflow. If all you do is learn from God and you never let it out, you become the Dead Sea. And if all you do is give out and you don't go to God for filling, then you become the Salt Lake Flats. But a healthy stream has healthy inflow, healthy out. And it also has maintenance. And that's our fourth point. It is our responsibility to care for our body, our soul, and our spirit. It's basically your job. You can do a lousy job with it if you want to. It's up to you. It is our prerequisite to do with it what we want to. All the tools have been given to us to live in health. I'm not talking about perfect situations. I'm talking about being in health where God has placed us and letting him disciple us and letting us mold us into his image so that he can use us the way we want to. When a soul is healthy, it is at one with its creator. That is Jesus. It will behave itself in a way that God would want us to behave because we're in connection with him and his spirit is giving us the direction and we learn from him and we become like him. I will close with this verse. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God that your whole spirit, your soul, and your body will be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's kneel for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can learn from your word. Thank you for the power that you've given us to become like you. And I pray, Lord, for this congregation, pray a special blessing on them as they seek to serve you, as they seek to find out what you want for them. And I pray that you would also bless the words this morning, bless the scriptures, pray that our hearts could grow in you and that we would become more like you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.